Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, it's Troy from the Tap Market Podcast. I'm here with Kate Westervelt today of MomBox. Kate and I actually go back a long ways. We both were starting out our a couple of our businesses very early on as entrepreneurs when we cross paths. And this is an absolute pleasure to have Kate back here. Kate of MomBox. Kate, tell us about MomBox and how you got started in this. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I started MomBox in 2016, technically. And at MomBox, we ship labor and delivery recovery kits to new moms across the United States. And recently, we've introduced a whole series of different care kits aimed at helping and supporting new moms after they give birth and across that full first year of motherhood and the postpartum period. What point in your life drove you to getting started with this company? Because I don't think somebody wakes up one day and just says that, like, I wouldn't do that. But you were at a different point in your life when you started this. Yeah. So like most first time moms, I sort of prepped the nursery for my impending baby and packed a hospital bag, got everything ready for the newborn, but was blissfully unaware of what sort of the postpartum experience really entailed because it's kind of taboo and nobody was talking about it. And between, you know, the fun and excitement of pregnancy and strollers and car seats and baby showers, nobody was kind of on the side saying it's going to be tough. And there are some really tough challenges and hurdles once the baby arrives. So after I gave birth, the nurses started bringing me postpartum recovery products, the like cheap hospital version. So I said to my husband, I don't have any of this stuff available at home. So we're going to have to swing by a department store on the way home from the hospital. I'm going to have to get these products for myself in bulk. And even though the hospital gave you freebies, they were going to run out pretty quickly. So we stopped and I sort of waddled into the department store because I had just given birth and I didn't know where to go. Was it like pharmacy or newborn section or where does somebody get like a nursing bra and nipple cream or like disposable underwear or overnight pads, all these things that women need after they give birth. I started to like Google things on my phone and I realized that the internet had tons of brands that made these products, smaller women-owned businesses. But at that point, I needed everything all at once. And so I sort of had this disastrous department store experience, scooped up what I could, waddled back to the car, and turned to my husband and said, like, this was miserable. I just gave birth. I have a giant ice pack in my underwear. And like, there's got to be a better way and better brands out there. And I can do this better for new moms. And so after that experience, I started to research the best brands on the market, buying the products, testing the products, and then finally decided to put them all into a, a single care kit and build a website and launch the brand. So that's what led me to start MomBox. And you were, at that time a stay-at-home mom. 
No, 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 no. I was actually working full time as a managing editor for Wayfair.com. I was working in Boston. I had just moved up from working in magazines and publishing in New York City. And I was a manager over at Wayfair and gave birth. And then while I returned to work, what would happen is I would commute into the city, I would work all day, and then I would come home and sort of like do dinner, bath, bed, hang out with my baby. And then around 8 p.m. I would start working on Mombox and I would work on Mombox till like one or two in the morning. And then I would go to bed, get up, do it all at the same time, which is insane and really hard to maintain that. I did that for a year, at which point I had switched jobs and Mombox was kind of coming into like full focus. And so then I went to a freelance schedule and then finally just took the dive, (laughs) which meant giving up daycare. So I was then a stay-at-home mom with my kid trying to build a business for a little while. And then that got impossible. So kid had to go back to daycare and business kept growing. So yeah, it's been a journey. (laughs) I think everybody has to do their time in the grind. Yeah. I know that feeling and it's partially rewarding, right? Once you get a chance to sort of come out of that, I think that's what people have to look forward to, but you get scrappy when you are forced to do as much as you can with as little as you can. Unlike, you know, a well-funded tech startup that is probably a little too loose and fast with your cash. Definitely. Talk about who you're, who you're serving. It's not just the moms themselves directly. Technically, that's the receiver of the box, but it's not necessarily always your buyer, right? So how did you find these people to begin with? How did you figure out who to serve? How did you figure out what products to put in the initial box and source them? Talk about those early days of first customers. Yeah. So I think to your point, my customer is actually this small group of about four types of people that circle a new or expecting mother. So people like the husband or spouse or partner or the closest girlfriend or friend group, the older, the aunt or the mother-in-law, I like to call them, and then colleagues at work. These are like sort of my four customers. I didn't really actually know that until we built the subscription model out. We built this product designed for the mom. Now, the mom is the very end user, right? She receives the box and often she'll get the box and then like it so much that she'll gift it to the next mom in line. So we built out subscription for the mom herself. But unfortunately, she's not the one that's purchasing. She's not the one that's converting. I would say maybe 10% of the time she's my customer. But often there's like this small circle of people who are the gift givers and they are my customer. And this has actually been a really recent revelation after subscription failed. We took a long, hard look at like, well, who actually is our customer? And we're diving through and we're realizing that we needed to create a way that was like easy, beautiful and seamless for people to care for other moms. Because at the end of the day, moms actually won't pull the trigger, purchase anything for themselves. So really understanding like these nuances in customer and making sure that we're building a product for our actual customer, not who we think is our customer. Making sure that we're building a product for the actual customer is, I can't understate that enough. It's super important. And we learned that the hard way. And so, yeah, what we realized is that there's sort of this halo effect of a mom getting a box and then giving one or two to the next mom in line. And so there's sort of this virality factor that happens, but the core 90% of our customers are gift givers. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were building something that felt like a glamorous, beautiful gift and made that experience seamless and easy for the gift giver. 
when we were like building out the infrastructure of the website and talking about the products, we're talking about how they help the mother versus like telling the mom how they'll help her. If that makes sense, it's all in sort of how we're talking to the customer. We test every product. You know, I was a founder fit. So I was actually living this experience, which is always a benefit is to be actually like the customer and testing out all the products myself. And then as we grew, we had a group of mom testers come in and help reach out to brands and test products and surface the best ones. I'll tell you, it's a big difference when you can serve yourself or you can build your company off of you as the avatar. It just makes the process that much easier. If you're not doing that out there and you're sort of listening to this, the alternative is that you get a communication line open with the customer that is deep. Because if you don't have constant feedback from your customer and you're not your own customer, it's going to be very hard for you to know how to serve that person. It's not impossible, but it it really helps. And even when you are the end user yourself or the target demographic, I think everybody's experience is sort of this one data point, right? And so my experience as a new mom was totally different from other experiences of new moms. But I was building this company kind of in a vacuum at first based around my own experience. So once I heard from other moms, I was like, oh, that was a struggle for you. That wasn't a struggle for me. But this was a struggle, not a struggle for you. Oh, okay. So now it gets to the point where even if you are a fit, and your own customer reaching out and getting that dialogue going with other people just sort of expands the horizons and gets better feedback. And you're going to end up building a better product overall. So when we launched subscription, we went in having interviewed hundreds of new moms on the timeline of various things that happen across the first year postpartum. And so we built our curriculum based off of hundreds of interviews. How did you acquire those first customers? How did they hear about you? How did you reach that initial first hundred and then maybe it was very different the how you got from a hundred to a thousand but how did people find out i mean because you invented mombox mombox did not exist in any way shape or form before you yeah so it's sometimes when you invent something new the hardest thing is just letting people know that you exist yeah so sort of a three-point answer once i built mombox the first thing i did was announce on facebook so because I'm a millennial, I had a large Facebook following, you know, a thousand plus friends at the time. My husband also had a thousand plus friends. So I announced on Facebook, friends and family started to buy because friends and family kind of kick off almost everything. So, okay, we'll support you. They were my first purchasers, but then their recipients were the first level further of people that I wasn't related to. And they would receive the box and they would love it so much that they would then give it to the next mom in line and so on and so forth. So this ripple effect. So obviously it just started by me saying, Hey, I built this thing and I would appreciate your support. But before that even takes place, I think the key, honest to God, the key, I can't say this enough. It just comes from building a really good product. And I say this all the time. I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this podcast, but it's encouraged. (laughs) Okay. So I call it holy shit value. So you want your recipient to open up this thing that you've built and go, holy shit, this thing is amazing. When that happens, moms who control 80% of the purchasing power in each home, then go and tell another person about this thing. And that in there lies the secret is like, you need to build something of holy shit value. So that without being prompt, begged, or giving any return, 
they go and tell somebody close to them. And if you can tap that, if you can build holy shit value and make your customer then go tell somebody unrewarded and unprompt, that's where the magic lies. I think that's been the key to Mombox's success and continued survival over the past six years now. So you got to build a really strong, good product. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Perfect is the enemy of done, but you do have to get it to a point where, okay, this is good enough to ship and it's delivering holy shit value. And somebody is going to tell somebody about this. At that point you ship it and then you start small, you announce to friends and family, and then it grows from there. At least that was my experience. We've never actually done any real paid marketing up until this point. We're about to dive into that because organic growth can only take you so far so fast. But for five years now, we've just been growing off of word of mouth. Can you give me a statistic of like how many mom boxes are shipped a month or some, some sort of statistic as to how, how far along you are? Yeah, we ship hundreds a month, I can say, and thousands each year. Perfect. By the way, your, your explanation of holy shit value is absolutely going to be uh, a social media short clip for me to send to everybody <laughs> in the world because oh. it's perfect. Holy shit if, you, if you haven't heard of Alex Hormozy, Alex Hormozy wrote a book, $100 million offers. He takes holy shit value to the next level. And he talks about how you build that value through the process. If you haven't read it yourself, dive into it. It's a great one. I think he gives the book away for like 99 cents. It's a huge lead magnet for him. Oh, that's cool. To give a, another example of this, there's a company called Love Every, super popular. They're worth 800 million right now. They just raised a series C or D. They're out of Boise, Idaho. They do a subscription box for kids across that first year and into the first like three years or five years of the kid's life. They're super expensive, hundreds of dollars. You get a box each quarter. My brother told me about it. His daughter had this play mat and he was like, you've got to check out this thing. It's so great. I look at the price tag. I said, this is super pricey for something that's just going to get thrown up on by an infant. He said, trust me. So I trusted him. I got it. I opened this box. I go, holy shit, this thing is amazing. Then I go and tell all my mom friends about it. So now Love Every has 220,000 subscribers and is on their way to IPOing. So it starts with holy shit value. I like that. As you know, and some of the listeners know too, we run a subscription box, lawn serve, DIY lawn care subscription box. And similar effect. Our best effect is when we just over deliver value to our customer. Mm -hmm. And then they go to work the next day and two dads are shooting the shit, talking about lawn care that they did all weekend. And one tells the other, I use Lawnser as my fertilizer weed control, bug control solution. It's super easy. They just ship it to my door. All I have to do is apply it. That is the best customer acquisition tool you can get. And it'll probably be cheaper than Google and Facebook. Yeah. Just crushing value. And when you have no slush fund for acquiring companies, at least in the beginning, you have to rely on that word of mouth. Yeah, it's good to hear that you can continue to pull on that lever, keep pulling on it until you can't anymore, for sure. Now, the products inside the box, any feedback on sourcing that? I think you started out with 100% other companies' products that you source, right? Have you created any of your own products as well for the box? Yeah, so because now we offer an entire lineup of different themed care kits, 
So like energy, sleep, mood, fitness, and strength. We've expanded to, I think we have 140 plus products in our warehouse now. In the beginning, all I did was order them myself, pay full price, test them out, say, I like this product. Then it it went toward ordering three or four, sending them out to a group of real life moms. What do you think? Give me your feedback, rate these products, try this thing, eat the sample, tell me what your thoughts are. And then when a winner was decided, I would reach out to that brand and say, Hey, I'm Kate. I am launching a postpartum care kit company and I would love to include your product. Here's the price that I need to hit the price per unit in order to make this work versus asking what is, you know, your wholesale pricing, what does that look like? Or can you send me more information? I sort of said, you know, I have 10 spots available in the box and I need to hit this price per unit. Can you meet that? Your first choice. And oftentimes they would say yes. And it was below, well below wholesale. And so I found that strategy to work for a very long time. And then once we started doing volume, we were negotiating from that already below wholesale. You know, now we're doing 100x what we had originally ordered. We need to secure an even deeper discount. And then for some brands, it was like, we are giving you exposure. We're getting your product out there away from the noise of the internet and the competition on store shelves. I mean, these in-market customers are going to have an experience. It's very personal inside their home already. And so we think that you should provide product for free. And a lot of times that worked as well. So that always helped overall our unit economics really were strong from the beginning because of that negotiation tactic. So yeah, one thing I like about your space and the lawn care space is that we have technically a lot of consumable products too. If you're in the subscription business, I know you have wound down your pure subscription business, but in the subscription business for the listeners, if you can develop a subscription where the product that they receive each month is actually consumable, then they need it to be replenished the next month. Mm -hmm. That's a ton of value. Mm -hmm. That's how you keep a subscriber a really long time. If you're doing stock of the month club, you might be able to do that profitably, but eventually it's likely somebody may have too many socks. And socks, while they are technically consumable, I would imagine that the lifespan of stock of the month and its consumable nature will wear itself out faster than if you were cereal of the month club mm-hmm. and they eat all of the cereal in the first two weeks. Yeah. You have a few different boxes that you provide to people now. Yeah. Explain the difference of those. So the original mom box is consumable products that last for the first five to eight weeks after someone delivers a baby. And then we went on to develop a C-section recovery kit because one in every three moms will end up having a C-section. From there, we had an upsell, which was the deluxe, which is just this behemoth of like, it's 13 pounds. It's like the deluxe labor and delivery recovery kit, but it has a ton of products that include stuff you can use over the course of like maybe the first six months. And then we have the mom box mini. So we were opening up the price point to everybody because a standard mom box is a hundred bucks. We wanted something around $60. Our research indicated that the average baby shower gift was about 60 to 70 bucks. So that's sort of our core lineup. And then we tried to launch a subscription, which was you could subscribe for three, six or 12 months. Ultimately, that ended up shutting down. We sunsetted that one year later and introduced Build-A-Box, which 
made every price point available. Anybody could come in and curate whatever their relationship to the new mom was. If they were super close, then they would end up giving things like nipple balm and mesh underwear, which are super intimate personal items. Or if it was a colleague, now all of a sudden Build-A-Box gives the opportunity for this person to give bath salts and a sleep mask, which is less intimate and less personal. And so we have sort of this full available inventory list now. How else are you serving these moms besides the physical products? Do you have other value that's non-product focused, whether it's content or coaching or whatever it may be? Yeah. So we always strive to bring all of the most recent research on maternal wellness and health. So each box comes with a booklet that has the most recent research on maternal wellness and health coming out of our research team. And then we also have, in addition, online, our blogs and our community and our outreach. You know, you can email the Mombox team at any time for anything. We've had tons of requests for support for mental wellness as well, mental health. So yeah, our content we're serving is definitely a value add in addition to product. I like all of that, mainly that you started with a really honed down niche. You've got these moms going through a very big change in their life that everyone can point their finger to somebody that they know who's gone through that, especially of our age. You've got a very captive audience trying to find solutions to bring joy and value to those people's lives in a market that, if I'm being honest, I think people probably tend to overspend in, right? They're not pinching pennies to give the gifts to the new moms. So that's all benefit. So you picked a good niche. You're finding a ton of value, margin value in working with these manufacturers and suppliers, these companies to introduce their products to these moms and these captive audiences profitably for you and valuable for them and probably still profitable for them. I would assume you're going above and beyond You're offering holy shit value to people through content, through the community, keeping them sticky. I don't know if you use this term, but you have essentially alumni. Mm -hmm. So you have a mom who becomes an alum that then gives the gift. So it's very easy to keep the train moving in recycling customers into your community. What's next? What's like the goal? Where do you go Maybe in the short term, but maybe in the long term too. What do you have your eye on and how do you think you're going to get there? Yeah, I think that we are discovering new avenues for reaching the gift giver. And that comes from really understanding who the gift giver is. And so now that we've really identified that, we're going after hospital partnerships, meeting these new parents in their labor and delivery recovery rooms after the baby has just arrived. We offer a breastfeeding support box, and we know that actually that's one of the largest struggles that new parents face is feeding their infant right away, and they'll see a lactation consultant within the hospital walls before they leave. And so we're partnering with various hospitals in and around the New England area to try to drop mom boxes inside of these recovery rooms. Additionally, we've heard from large organizations who are trying to improve their parental leave policies and all of the surrounding energy that goes into making sure that this huge life transition is met with understanding and excitement and support as employees go off into their parental leave programs. So we've heard from businesses, we're partnering with hospitals, and yeah, we just continue to grow our D2C efforts as well. So that's what we'll be doing. 
2023. We talk about this a lot at Tapped Market because our focus is co-marketing. We want brands to work with brands to find warm audiences to grow their businesses because we think that's cheaper, right? So if I were to give any advice on growth or one of the things that I hear people talking about a lot when they come on this podcast is finding those centers of influence with warm audiences that you can partner with. So if you could go out, like for instance, Leah Boomsma was on the podcast with, she started a company called Flipping Holders. And it's a little plastic container with two, I wish I had it with me, two little holders on the side for toddlers. You stick a food pouch in it or a juice box because it, it can go both. That's the flipping part of the flipping holder. You flip it over, it does the other thing. And it just keeps it from the kid making a mess everywhere. Yeah. You know, you put an insert in Leah's shipments and vice versa. You guys could co-market to the same audience, captive audiences, and probably get a really good return rate. Do email blasts, do guest blogs, do social media giveaways, do these things, co-marketing with each other to grow. No different than working with a social media influencer, which is probably plenty of social media influence moms out there. But the reason why Tap Market is going to be so successful for brands like yours is that typically the conversion rate working businesses with businesses, brands with other brands, working with the buyers and the audiences of brands, there's a higher conversion rate than there would be if you just went with a direct influencer, which you should definitely do too, essentially brand ambassadors. And you probably already have some people that talk about you that are just raving fans, but it works in that same vein of the word of mouth. And it continues to get up the value tree of, of warm audiences. And the longer you can stay away from PPC, Google ads, those types of things, the more profitable you're going to be for a long time. Absolutely. Any other big plans for next year? Honestly, I think we're going to dabble in SMS. I think that sort of moving away from building an app, which we talked about for a long time and just realizing now that brands that are in the text message inbox are getting further faster. So I think that there's a way for us to sort of take that full first year journey with the mom through sort of an SMS platform, but we're still toying with that. You mentioned being sticky. And I think rather than just dropping this box on mom's lap and then saying, you know, good luck, we want to take that full first year journey with her. And even though our subscription box didn't pan out, our content is designed around that full first year. And so there's ways for us to continually not only interject and help and support throughout that first full year, but also from a business perspective, there's lots of room for upselling and saying, you know, we've built solutions for breastfeeding support and mental health. And as you face these things, as you go throughout the year, we have all these other care kits too. just tap here if you want that delivered to your door. So just leveraging the SMS too. So lots of business development in 2023. One other thing I've seen people do in the subscription box world, which could be valuable just because you've got different timing instances of when you would engage with a mom before and after is they call them front end products. But if you sold or marketed a product that was singular outside of a box that can sell volumes and you can do it profitably, but maybe your margins tighter, you use it as almost like hopefully not a loss leader. Hopefully it doesn't cost you money 
hopefully you can actually sell it profitably, but you can try to convert those front end products. Say it's like a, for lack of knowing or having an idea, a vitamin that a mom would take while she's pregnant. And then you convert those moms into buying the box off of the back of the profitable vitamin that you're selling prior to when they would actually be taking this. And then you turn that front end buyer that is cost effective into your subscriber or into your next sale or your build a box or whatever it may be. And that sort of funnel of conversion can work for a lot of brands as well. At Forest and Herald with our men's accessories company, we can do that with our wallets, for instance. Wallets can be relatively commoditized, right? So our margins are a little bit thinner there, but we're looking at launching our watch brand, for instance. And these, if you don't have a subscription product, the other alternative is to sell a backend product, which would be like a higher ticket item. So for us, it could be watches, which may have a larger margin for us, but it's a higher ticket item. So it's not as easy to lead through the first trust and credibility building phase of. And so if you can bring them in with a wallet, sell them a a percentage of them a watch, you can get more customers. So last thing before I let you go, what can this community do to sort of support you and help you? Where can they find you? Do you have any call to action of this community? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on social at Mombox. Really simple. It's mombox.com. And I think the best way to sort of grow the brand is to continue to just talk and spread awareness. If you have a friend or somebody in your life who's pregnant or expecting, Mombox is just an awesome solution and gift. So just talk about Mombox. Yeah. And we'll get a mom box from you too. And and we'll show it on YouTube. We'll do some reviews. We'll get some moms involved. Cool. You know, the opinion of the dad only goes so far here. <laughs> so I look forward to helping you get that exposure. We'll make some introductions to other parenting focused products that have come on the podcast that I think you guys would be able to really hit it out of the park with. Cool. And we'll have you back. I mean, you're going to be launching more products, getting more reach. So I look forward to having you back and it was great to catch up. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it and uh, good luck too. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes. So we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends, This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.